Welcome to the Commander-in-Chief Podcast. I'm Yuri Kruman, founder and CEO of Commander-in-Chief Media Group, award-winning chief people officer and keynote speaker, author of five books, Fortune 500 consultant and corporate trainer, and contributor to Fast Company, Forbes, Entrepreneur, and Newsweek. Our mission at Commander-in-Chief Media is to help 100 million people around the world in the next 10 years to do their life's best work in the here and now through storytelling, educational media, thought leadership, HR consulting, corporate training, coaching, speaking, and authentic high-quality writing, helping people become their own Commanders-in-Chief. Now, if you're interested in being a guest on the Commander-in-Chief podcast, stick around until the end of the show. We will share with you what we're looking for and how to apply. Hey, everybody. My name is Yuri Kruman, and I'm the host of Commander-in-Chief Podcast. As you guys uh, know, um, I get to speak to some very, very interesting people on the show. And um, today, I am thrilled to welcome Andrew Horn of uh, Trivia.co. Andrew, welcome. Please uh, please tell us about yourself. What do you do? Where, you, where do you come from? What's, what's your stick? Well, where do I come from? I come from... Uh... In Maui, Hawaii, which is where I was born and raised. Uh, but most recently, I spend my time at a company called Tribute.co, and I'm the, the CEO there. And we are the number one platform for creating video montages that you give. Yuri, what's, give, me, give me one of your best friend's names. Ilya. Ilya. So let's imagine that Ilya has a birthday. What Tribute would do would make it really easy to reach out to 30 of Ilya's friends. You'd ask two prompts. What's your favorite thing about Ilya? What's your favorite memory with Ilya? Automatically invites those people, reminds them when they don't remember to submit their video, which no one does until the day before the deadline, coincidentally. And then we built the first collaborative video editor that edits those videos together into a video montage that you can give on a birthday. And uh, this past year, we just crossed the 5 million videos delivered mark. Beautiful. Okay. That's, that's pretty cool. That's a very simple, straightforward and, and actually very important idea, right? I saw somewhere that, uh, you know, it's very easy to say, hey, Hallmark 2.0. But I think you guys are doing something a lot more engaging and thoughtful. I mean, who? Yeah. How do you, you know, okay, there's, I, I'm just a dude off the street. I learned about, you know, tribute not long ago. And I'm thinking, all right, well, I'm a head of HR and you know, I want to maybe engage people more and then like get them talking and just, just increase gratitude. It's like, oh, it sounds nice. How do we do that? Let's have a company meeting and like, you know, good boy, good girl. It doesn't work. So what, what's, what's going on here? I'm sure you have some kind of, uh, you know, corporate case studies, something interesting that you can share with us where the work that you do directly impacts the quality of life for people at work and, and at home for that. Yeah, well, I'd love to hear that. You know what I'll do first is I have plenty of research about the practical impact and importance of gratitude and things like employee engagement, employee retention, employee appreciation and well-being. Uh, but I mean, I'll just tell a story that really changed my whole appreciation for the importance of gratitude in the workplace. Because for me, I've always run small nonprofits and tribute for many years with just a 10 person company, now 80 people. Um but there was a moment in my second year running Tribute where we got uh, introduced to a woman from uh, a company who will remain nameless um, because they were a little bit of a bad actor in this in this story. But uh, her colleagues did a 35-year 
uh, retirement tribute for her. She'd been at this company for 35 years and she was retiring. And so they gathered all of her colleagues all the way down to the janitor in their office building to do a tribute video for her. It was an hour and five minutes long. And the next day after we delivered that tribute, we got videos from the recipient. They had taken photos of her watching her tribute and she's bawling, just tears running down her face. And so the next day she sends us a video and she said, hey, I just wanted to reach out to the team to say thank you so much for this gift. It's one of the most meaningful of my entire life. And then I'll never forget, I get goosebumps right now when I tell the story still to this day. And she said, I didn't know this much. I didn't know they cared this much. Could you imagine spending 35 years of your life committed to a company and not knowing how appreciated and how valued you were? There is no reason if we have kind feelings and thoughts about someone that we work with, they should exist inside of us. Statistically speaking, we'll spend 33% of our lives at work to not know that we're valued, that we're recognized at that fundamental place of being is a, a tragedy. And so that was the moment in our second year where I realized how important gratitude was in the workplace. But just like you said, it doesn't matter. You're, you're an HR consultant. It doesn't matter if something is a nice thing to do. People have budgets, people have deadlines, people have goals that they need to hit. To hit. And so what we started to look for is, well, what is the practical impact of employee recognition, appreciation in the office? And right away, the, the number one reason that people leave their jobs is not because they're underpaid or anything else. It's because they don't feel appreciated. That's a Gallup poll. Oh. It's the number one reason that people leave their jobs is that they do not feel appreciated. Um, when you look outside of that, it's the, the number one driver of discretionary effort. And discretionary effort can be thought of as people going the extra mile at work. Again, it's not bonuses. It's not relationships to other people at the office. How connected are your teammates to each other? And so for someone like you who's focused on learning and develop moments of bringing people together, of growing together, which are so Again, appreciation is one of those uh, and transformative uh, actions that we can set to connect our employees and to ensure that they are appreciated. Uh, because I promise you that the the money and the time, which we've shrunk for a company of thousands of employees or of three, mm -hmm. is always going to be more efficient investing into your current employees that you love rather than finding new ones and training them back up. Yeah, so let's let's set some context here. So let's let's you know again, it's very easy to run away and say, yeah, there's a million tools and and, and this and that. Like I, I use I myself um, use something very simple. It's called the user's guide to self. What the hell is that, right? It's a Google form that has questions like, well, what's your preferred? I don't know. What are your work conditions that you you like? I don't know. This temperature, your sure. office, you know, uh, we work. I don't know what. What about communication style? Do you prefer email, phone? Slack, what, what is it? Very simple questions. And also, okay, well, what are your areas for development? You know, or what do you want people to know about you? Right? Very, very kind of basic things. And then of this other kind of movement, well, there's, uh, you know, there's employer branding, then there's employee branding. And again, it's a lot of buzzwords. What it, what it really comes down to is we spend a hell of a lot of time, even, you know, virtually, dealing with people that we know nominally because they're our colleagues, they're on our team, they're in our company. We know them. We don't know who the hell they are, what's going on behind there. Because by, by now, by like, you know, end of year two, 
most people have the whole Zoom thing down. They probably don't have, you know, animals in the background uh, growling or, you know, kids running around. They've probably got a ha some handle on that, hopefully. So less and less of that kind of human face in all senses that came out of the beginning of COVID. Now it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, whatever. It's every, everyone is just sort of, you know, eh, who cares, whatever. So when you find a way that's, that's, that cuts through that barrier, through that cynicism, I mean, let's be frank, that can get people just talking, I don't know, about something not work-related, suddenly you, you, you might actually like have some kind of thirst for, hey, I, like, I, I want to know more about, like, who, who are you? What, you know, do you live in Brooklyn? You live in Austin? You got a family of three? You got five dogs? A lizard? Like, who are you really? Like, you know, we, we never ask these questions because American corporate culture just says, don't, don't stick your nose in people's business. But we're humans. We're social. We, we need something. So when I'm starting to think about this and not, not, it's not HR, it's not engagement. It's just like, I want to know people that I work with because I, I, I'm sure I can find something interesting in their story, you know, in, in where they came from, why they do this work. Yeah, but it's also practical. Maybe I can realign their work and make it more interesting. So I'm, I'm just like in, in a very, very simple sense without over-intellectualizing anything. I want to know who I'm dealing with. I want to know what they went through. Are they immigrants? Are they, you know, children of single parents? I, I love this stuff. That's why I'm in this whole, you know, human resources space. I just, you know, that's the channel for me. So let's, let's kind of, let's find a way, like what, why, why this? Why is this the thing that you do? How did you get into this? This is not the first company you built. This is not the most obvious, not the most intuitive thing to do. Why, why this? I'm really curious. Yeah, it's, um, I've oftentimes referred to a calling as taking the pain that you've overcome in your own life and using your experience as fuel to help other people not endure that same trauma or hardship. And for me, uh, really one of the, the main hardships that I experienced growing up was a great deal of, of loneliness and social anxiety. Um, I was on an island. I was uh, experienced a lot of prejudice due to being a white kid in a totally Hawaiian and Filipino and Samoan school, which is a, a weird thing unto itself. I'm grateful for the experience, though. Um, and I was just very isolated and very lonely and very sad. And I remember that even going through high school and college, I developed mechanisms and tactics to connect with people and started to build friends and community. But it was only on my 27th birthday. Uh, when I really experienced what community could be. And I'll never forget, I walk into my apartment with my girlfriend, now wife, Mickey, and I just think that we're going back to have a, a nice dinner together. I didn't want to do anything. And I open the door to my apartment, door swings open. And then all of a sudden I see like 20 pairs of shoes on the ground that I don't recognize. And then she goes, three, two, one. And then happy birthday, all my friends, like family members coming out of closets, jumping out of the bathroom. So she plans a surprise birthday party. And then uh, she's like halfway through the party. She says, okay, everyone into the living room. And uh, she turns on our TV and she hits play on our DVD player, DVD player, those existed back then. And uh, I sit in the back of the room. And what I find out is that Mickey has reached out to 20 of my closest friends and family members she asked all of them to submit a one minute video telling me why they love and respect me. 
And so the first video up on the screen is my father who I have a great relationship with, but he doesn't say, I love you very much. And the, the way he ends his video is saying, Andrew, I love you, I'm really proud of you. So that was powerful. And then it's my mom who I helped her to start her uh, communication strategy agency. And she was telling me how amazing the experience was of working with me, how great it was to see me in action as an entrepreneur. And then the third one, which is, this is what put me over the edge, is my friend, Matt, who has now become my best friend in New York. But as a grown man, it's a vulnerable thing to say to another man, hey, like, are we best friends? Or like, how do you communicate that? But it's a felt sense. And so um, Matt, in his video, he said, I just want you to know you are my best friend. And in that moment, I just started bawling because I was so overwhelmed and so connected. And I get goosebumps again talking about the story. And it went on for 20 minutes. And it was in that moment that I realized the people that mattered to me the most really loved me, really valued me exactly as I was. I didn't need to do anything. They just loved me. And that was the, the most complete and whole sense of belonging that I'd ever experienced in my life. And the confidence and the well-being that I derived from that, the sustenance I got from that experience is still with me today. And so, you know, I so deeply want to help people to connect. And I've realized that sharing our appreciation is one of the most practical and tangible pathways to do that. And technology is this great amplifier. So Tribute is a company because I experienced the magic of it. And now having given 5 million videos, I get to project that all of those people are having a similar experience, which we know from data that 99% of our users say that they feel more connected to their community after participating. And my favorite one is something we track called TOJ, which I think is the best KPI on the planet, which stands for tears of joy. And after all these videos delivered, 83% of our recipients say that they literally cried tears of joy when they watched their video. So that is why I do it and why we've endured so many hardships to get it to this point is because we believe in it and we believe that uh, it's not only something that we care about, but the world is facing a loneliness epidemic. And Cigna just came out with a study about, uh, study about millennials and over 50% of, of millennials are identifying as lonely these days. And that was only amplified by the, the pandemic. And so uh, technologists and entrepreneurs that are creating real solutions that help people to connect in meaningful ways are as needed as they've ever been. Fantastic. This actually makes me think uh, maybe uh, maybe it's someone you know actually from Brooklyn, uh, Chris Shembra. Uh, he does a lot of work. We're doing we're doing Chris's program next week for our class. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you know all about his work. Um, I mean, his uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's nice all about gratitude, but the whole thing about uh, making pasta as a group, and they have this seven forty seven thing where um, everybody you know kind of like stops and then tells their story and they give gratitude and. You know, I, I had something very similar. I, I, I wasn't kind of thinking in terms of a tribute per se, but I realized at some point, I went uh, back to Kentucky where I grew up um, about four or five years ago for my oldest friend's uh, wedding. In Louisville and I took a car to Lexington and brought, I don't know, some copies of my novel. I, I don't know, whatever. And I just like, I got in touch with all my favorite teachers and, you know, some classmates, whatever. And it was, it was one of the most incredible things that I've ever done. It's, it's not about the book. It's not about the, it's just like, I'm, I'm telling people that had a really foundational effect on who I am as a human. Thank you. Just thank you. And then I'm telling them specifically, like, Hey, you know, uh, Mrs. Sloan, you know, those uh, Greek and Latin roots that everyone hates. You actually gave me a key to life. Like I, 
I had to get into so many different things. And like that saved me because I figured out what the hell was going on thanks to those roots. Or, you know, Mrs. Sims, by the way, uh, Chris knows Mrs. Sims as well. It's this weird <laughs> connection from South Carolina. She's my teacher from sixth grade That's in wild. Kentucky and whatever. It's like the world is funny that way. But, you know, again, I gave her a copy of my book and I just said, you know what? The one thing I remember from your sixth grade uh, English class was some video you showed us about, uh, I don't know, how to like, you know, put the knives and forks on a table, like, you know, be the whole Southern gentleman thing. I don't know why I remember that. I'm like a Russian Jew, what happened to me in Kentucky? But like, you know, what I learned in your class was, you know, just like how to be an awesome person. Like she put a billboard up in Lexington, just thanking all her students, which are like tens of thousands by now, right? I mean, just things like that, they, they leave an often unrealized imprint on all of us, right? And, and, and if we're able to just take a pause and turn around and say, wow, holy shit, like, I just want to say thank you because you, you know, I was, I was wet uh, clay and you, you, you formed me and I, I, never, I never realized. So like, yeah, there's something very strong here. So I appreciate you bringing it up. So, yeah. okay, tribute. We get the whole gratitude thing. We understand the, the story of how you came up on this. Surely it's not the, you know, it's not just like, okay, I grew up as a lonely kid. I, I did too, believe me. In Kentucky, it's like, you know, what is this Russian Jewish kid doing here? I was kind of like, I call it internal exile. I was myself, just got my A's. Yeah. But, you know, we know the business impact of gratitude. We know the... Yeah. Kind of one story. What what else along the way maybe gave you clues about gratitude as, as some kind of either missing ingredient or a key that opens doors? I'm sure there's something else in, in maybe companies you've built before or experiences you've had. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the the great things about tribute is that this was a behavior that we already saw in society that existed but was not efficient. And so when we were doing this, we were really saying, let's create the quickest pathway to help people do this thing that they're already doing. And I had experienced the, uh, the 15 hour version. So we really knew that we just wanted to take it down to, to 15 minutes. But I think that um, what, what makes tribute so successful right now, and I think really the lifeblood of our, of our growth, which I think is the question that you're alluding to is like what actually made tribute successful is we realized early on that um our virality was the lifeblood of our business and right now the average customer who does a tribute invites 30 of their friends to do this the special about tribute is that we have a use case where truly for us what uh, our imperative is is to communicate how special of an invitation this is when we get one customer that's one person but now we know that each person that we get into our site is worth 30 new invitations to other people. And how they convert is totally dependent upon our ability to express how meaningful and how big this opportunity is to celebrate someone. For the same reason that you just said, those little moments have such a lasting impact. And so how can we convey the value of a tribute-like experience like this, how we can truly change someone's life so that that virality continues to, to grow the organization. And so what's been really fun for us is that we get to grow very authentically through people using the product is ultimately how we grow. And that has really been the lifeblood and where we focus the vast majority of our resources is not on external marketing, but understanding for those people who are currently 
in our process, whether they are receiving a video or giving one, how can we basically just remind them of this action more frequently? So a year after the date, they're getting a video. It says, hey, remember when you sent this video? Remember when you received this video? How did it feel? Like, here's a list of the birthdays you have coming up. Like, how do you want to make that person feel? And so for us, it's really been through, through product-led growth and really understanding what are all of those levers that we can use to increase optimization, conversion, retention, you name it. And that has been, uh, and that's been, that's been what's been most helpful. And then if I'm being completely transparent, just fortitude, because it took us five years to get to a place where we had exponential 30x growth, you know, is that we were, we loved this business. If we didn't love this business, if we weren't drowning in purpose because we believed in it, there's no way, there's no way that we would have survived to March of 2020 when the pandemic hit. And all of a sudden, no one could go to graduations, no one could do anything. So how do they celebrate? Tribute. So we went from being a fledgling company with, you know, like at the time, eight employees uh, to number 256 on the Inc. 500. And now that's a completely different business. But uh, at three years ago, I was working full time in another business because we had to have other day jobs to support our families. Rory was at Google. <laughs> What's the secret to it is for us was certainly product led growth and virality, but ultimately it was that we love this business. We believed in the impact. We were willing to go the extra mile because we had that purpose. And it's what allowed us to stay alive, imperative number one in entrepreneurship, long enough to get to this point. And um, so that that purpose element, like it can't be understated because we, I would not be having this conversation with you. We would not be on the Inc. 500 if it wasn't for that, pure and simple. That's that's a very valid point. Yeah, so uh, I'm learning two things from this. Number one, um, makes me think of the Maya Angelou quote, uh, right? Uh, paraphrasing uh, that people don't remember what you did, but they remember how they made, how you made them feel, mm -hmm. right? Or vice versa. So I, I think that's that's a very strong effect. It also kind of means that maybe before 2020, as a as a society, we're just a bunch of, of ungrateful assholes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's the lesson. People, we're, we're in a massive shift is that people are now becoming more comfortable communicating pretty exclusively in digital mediums. The, the virtual work kind of revolution is upon us. Mm -hmm. And as we spend more times in these digital mediums, I think we're going to become much more attuned to how these things make us feel. And we realize that text on a page is just not that personal. It's not that emotive. So much gets lost in translation. And video is the most expressive. It's the most emotional um, and it's the easiest way to truly connect through the digital medium of which we're only going to do more of. So truly it's when you look at the PayPal mafia of like, if you look at all those people, it's one of the most incredible teams of entrepreneurs ever created, if not the, mm -hmm. and when they look back at what had happened, the confluence of luck that needed to happen for that to be possible of internet technologies that weren't supposed to be available and banking regulations that passed, it was it just, it could not have happened if not for some dumb luck. And so it's like that, that mantra of stay alive matters because things happen that are completely outside of your control. And if you're alive, like you, you just, you know, you have to be alive to take advantage of them. Andrew, let's, uh, let's talk business. Look, you know, we're, we're business people here. Um, 
you know, you got us, you got us in the heart. You got us right here. It's not just us. I mean, clearly the virality factor for once, it's a good virus, right? The R is, is, I mean, if you're saying from one to 30, God bless, that's fantastic. Let's, let's talk about other touch points. So we have the touch point of video tribute. I mean, that's that, yeah, that stays with you. That's, that's probably for life. That's a huge deal. Okay. But you know, if you want to continue growth, you got to build other products or other services or what have you. So what can you share with us? I mean, you know, when you open a door like that, through which you can run elephants, you can probably, hopefully do a lot of things. So what, what's, what's on that product roadmap? What are you guys building? Whatever, what can you share with us? I'm really, really curious because you know, it's a green field. Yeah, absolutely. Well, several years ago, uh, the New Yorker wrote an article on us and they called us Hallmark 2.0. And NPR just did a story with us and Hallmark. Hallmark just introduced video cards very uh, recently. And so that's ultimately the, the mission for Tribute of where we want to go is to become Hallmark 2. Hallmark of the last hundred years. They were the brand that you associated with meaningful occasion and gift related communication. It's Hallmark was the brand that facilitated those messages uh, for the last hundred years. And now as the majority of moves into the digital realm, we want to be the context that holds that meaningful communication. And so right now, Tribute has always existed um, as a many-to-one experience. And so now what we are innovating and moving towards is the opportunity to add a one-to-one experience. It makes it easier for our users to do this more frequently. So essentially what happens is uh, if you're going to give a tribute to your friend, you're not going to give them a tribute again for several years. It's just not the way that this works in the psyche of our customers. It's such a big gift that you do it on big occasions, graduations, a 45, a 50, some of those. Mm -hmm. um, but the ability to make it easy and to automatic, to keep in touch with our good friends on special occasions, family members, coworkers on important anniversaries, and send meaningful messages, again, we think is one of the simplest and most effective ways to foster meaningful connection, which is at the end of the day, why we exist as a company. And so for us, it, it truly is uh, from a business as well as a mission. We say like, what can we do to connect as many people on earth in meaningful relationships? And this is the next step for us. So it's uh, it's fun that we've been able to get it to this point. And just like you said, now having a, a pretty sizable audience, what do those people want? How can we give them an experience of what are people currently doing, sending greeting cards, but make it better? in the digital realm. And that's exactly what we're doing here. So you guys hopefully are collecting massive amounts of data. I mean, I, I'm just sitting here kind of like virtually salivating at, at kind of the behavioral uh, psychological implications of what you're doing and what it, what it shows you about human behavior once you've opened the door through, through gratitude. And I'm, I'm just like thinking, wow, imagine I mean, the, maybe the, the average, you know, average spending size or transaction size or whatever, I mean, whatever that's, that's maybe not as interesting, but I'm just really curious if, again, if we're able to get a clear look into that, um, what, what happens to a person's behavior after something like this and how do you measure it? You know, it doesn't have to be a commercial purpose, but maybe there's some way to even apply that in schools, right? If you can teach kids at a certain age that look, you know, someone really cares and it's not just the, the bully that's running after you, right? Imagine the implication of, of those small transactions that, that, can, that can be turned in the right direction thanks to something like this. It could be, yeah, I mean, a video. Video is very engaging. It's you know, uh, easy to make go uh, viral. So 
I'm just I'm kind of like thinking about those little transactions, not so much yeah. the bigger stuff. The totally the, and the it's you're you're kind of uh, picking at a really interesting point here, which is uh, ultimately Meta and Facebook. It's since the graph in 2013, uh, it's been very very difficult for any sort of social app to create uh, a use friend graph, meaning that like, you know, your friend's information without them actually being on the app. It's a very, very challenging thing to do to get a, a cohort of people that you care about onto a new application. Very, very challenging. Very few ever do it. Uh, but before 2013, uh, you could log into an application using Facebook and get all of your Facebook friend information inside of that app. So if I card app or something like that uh, on my iPhone, I could just see all my friends' birthdays and send them stuff. Whereas in 2013, all that information got closed off unless they actually did it. And so what we are really seeing as the future here, and I think that Dave Warren and Path were really ahead of their time in terms of what they were trying to create, that we're starting to, to hit this point where people are realizing that they're incredibly overwhelmed, that their digital relationships, the number of people that they know on Facebook is completely inconsequential and meaningless, mm -hmm. and that we're going to start to rotate into smaller and smaller tribes. And so the companies that make for us to identify who those close friends, family members, coworkers are, and can really consolidate those groups are going to be the ones that also are going to get so much voluntary information about birthdays, preferences, and other things that give you an opportunity to hopefully provide uh, meaningful commerce opportunities to them. And that's really what we're trying to do is saying, hey, send this person a card, but then also every year on their birthday, like we're going to remind you and because you want to be a good friend. And also you invite your friends to submit a video. And now we have their birthday creating these, these mini network effects of close communities, I think is gonna become increasingly popular uh, in, in modern e-commerce. Yeah, and I'm not sure why I thought of this, but kind of thinking about uh, the, the evolution of the internet economy, thinking through uh, Facebook, it's kind of like this discovery element for a long time, and this uh, inevitable curation and cutting down and what's in your newsfeed and you know what you want or don't want, which leads of course to echo chambers. I'm really curious what, what you think Maybe maybe this is a bit out there, but uh, what do you think gratitude looks like in this uh, metaverse? And I don't know if the metaverse is even meaningful or consequential, but let's say for the for the sake of argument that it is something real that it's 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 going to evolve into some kind of meaningful, useful purpose for humanity. So what does yeah. gratitude look like out there? I think that tribute's already proven that out. To be quite frank, is like if you look at what we do track with our customers, statistics about the people who are communicating using our platform is via video, right? We can only imagine that metaverse is going to be a, a pretty accurate representation of our avatars or something like that. Um, and so, um, to have 99% of people saying that they feel more connected to their community after this act, to have again 83% of people after receiving feeling like they're crying tears of joy. It's oftentimes people quote really uh, negative and detrimental statistics about media usage, but there's there's contrary statistics that people rarely cite that I think are, are just as important. And it talks about the difference between social media use and active social media use. And if you're on Instagram and you're just browsing and you're not engaging whatsoever, you are not connected to anyone. There's nothing there. And like you are going to have a, a decrease to your subjective well-being after that experience, almost certainly. 
But there's also research that shows that if you're using social media and you're engaged, meaning that you're liking posts and especially that you are commenting or messaging people, that that can actually be a really connected experience. And so it's kind of this, this at least for me, like how I try and track my social media usage is that if I actually like something, I let myself scroll past it without liking on it. And if I really like just to make an effort to convert a message, because it does lead to authentic interactions that are beneficial to our subjective well-being. So like these, these technologies and immersive technologies like AI and the metaverse are not intrinsically bad. Um, well, you know, I, I don't know if I actually believe that anymore because I think that now that we're in algorithms that are kind of curated for profit optimization and tearing apart our democracy, I think that they're in, in, intrinsically pretty detrimental, uh, but that a lot of how we use them, which we still do own a lot of control of, um, can determine the outcomes for ourselves. Very cool. Let's pivot a bit. Um, very interesting. Again, we, we don't know a lot of things, but um, I'm, I'm really curious, kind of back back on the ground. So you're on the Inc. 5000. I mean, clearly it's a very different story from before 2020. Gratitude is a great door to run through, right? A lot of a lot of things open up because of that. And of course, if you're running a company like this, I mean, your employee experience has got to be off the charts. So what does it look like? I mean, we, we get we get the whole, you know, recording a video and, and, and thanking people. It totally makes sense. And it works. What is what is your employee experience look like? How how have you sort of thought through? I mean, if you want to think of this as kind of like the other touch points along that kind of Airbnb 11 point uh, customer service uh, scenario. Just curious what that looks like in practice for you guys. Great question. I'm happy you asked. We're, we're getting ready to publish a white paper on this. Actually, we're calling about, we're calling it um, rituals for culture building. And like what we have are tribute rituals. Uh, Priya Parker, uh, who wrote The Art of Gathering, she has this great quote. Uh, Do you know what the difference between routine and ritual is uh, and she says intention like why are you doing it and so what we've done is just really asked our employees i had a great deal of of input initially but we asked our employees what are the best things that you've done at your other companies and we just had a huge list of all the different things that they've done and then we just basically made our calendar and we said, okay so every wednesday we have a conversation prompt that goes into our all team staff thread and that's a know your employees and it's a deeper question of like where's the best place you've ever traveled like share a photo what's your favorite recipe if you're going on a first date and so we have people who are sharing these things every single wednesday every friday after wins what was your big personal win this week what was your big win at work uh once a month we have our learning and development seminar where we bring in an expert to teach us about something that's just a cool skill that you'll want to have uh as a person uh, we do monthly kind of uh, lunch and learns with different people on the team who can explain to us what they do as a director of product design so they can understand different roles in the company. And we have all of these different rituals, which just say that here's the frequency that we do this thing. That can be a weekly, a bi-monthly, a monthly, an annual. Um, and we just know that those are the things that we do consistently. And again, I think it's Stephen Covey who says, like, you are not what you do. You are what you do consistently. And so it's all there for anyone who is coming into the company. What's your culture like? It's, it's, I'm not going to give you something that's kind of theoretical. It's here's who we are. This is what we do. This is how we connect. This is each other. This is how we grow together outside of our day-to-day -day jobs. 
and that that is how we've built culture and how we think about it. And I also think one of the most accessible pathways for any company who says that they want to build culture to do it is what are you going to do consistently? And it's 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 not that difficult to put out that mission. The challenging part is is actually showing up to do that consistently and knowing that it's valuable and going to have an impact. Exactly. I would love to see this white paper. This this sounds. Uh, I'll, this, I'll send it to you. Really well done. Please please do it. That would that would be awesome. So one one thing I'm learning again, um, I'm kind of drawing upon my you know wealth of experience dealing with companies where technology, technology, technology. It's as if um, how, how did I call it in an article? Um, uh, something like uh, s- s- like they're expecting uh, SaaS to be their savior. Hmm. <laughs> Right. They think that connecting all the tools in the world and monitoring people and giving them access will, will magically engage them. And of course, no, it doesn't. So I really like this idea, not because Stephen Covey is, is, you know, is one of my favorites, but because that's how I see my life. Right. I mean, the reason that this is kind of pivoting to, to the last part of our conversation today, you know, the, the way that I see personal behavior is something that can be kind of well integrated into how the company behaves, if you will. Um, so what do, what, what do people do regularly around, again, these kind of four conversations we always mention here. So around uh, conversation with the body, so that's, uh, you know, fitness, nutrition, sleep, biorhythms, prevention, um, et cetera, right? So maybe there's a way to help people, I don't know, pause in their day, wherever they are, whatever they're doing, and asynchronously doesn't have to be some kind of desk yoga nonsense. And just, you know, do your thing. Take a video of yourself, uh, I don't know, taking a break or talking about something interesting. I don't know. It doesn't have to be complicated. It's not all about technology. It's not all about, you know, this one says this, this one says that. Sometimes you just have to help people do their best wherever they are in whatever manner they, they can and then sometimes they can share with others and the cross-pollination also leads to great things. Yep. So number two is mental models and life skills, right? So a lot of this, you know, especially in, in, a, in a virtual setting, it becomes very difficult because, you know, the, the extroverts shine, the introverts kind of sit back and stew on themselves. And you have, you have a lot of these kinds of biases that go out of completely out of whack. Uh, dealing with other people, of course, you know, how, how do you teach uh, kids coming out of college, right? They never had that kind of water cooler conversation. They they never really learned the texture of the working world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that kind of goes into my thesis of total leadership or total learning and development, meaning that the company is the provider of last resort for, frankly, a lot of those life skills that just mm-hmm. you can't learn except by being with other people in a space where you do work together. There's just, there's you know, there's a limit to what you can do. So the company has to think of, creative and thoughtful and meaningful ways to kind of help younger employees to, to really understand that and experience it. And of course, the last one, this is not something that maybe is the sexiest subject at work because we, we tow around it, but you know, all of us need to have some kind of sense of higher meaning. What, what does our conversation with God or the universe, you know, and yeah, that goes into things like traditions and, and rituals and conversations about kind of, you know, why why do some people have to go through evil right even if they're good or you know things things that are a little bit higher level maybe more philosophical but i think they're very important especially in times where 
you know, you have something like a, a Putin invading uh, Ukraine, right? Where suddenly all of our relativism, which has really spun us way out of control, suddenly is like, wait a minute, this is really black and white. There are few things in our lifetime, I would say, that have been quite as black and white as what's happening now. Yeah. Right? Even, even the Cold War was quite a while ago. Right? It's 30 plus years. Totally. So I think it's it's imperative for the company to think about those things. But let's let's back up from what the company has to do or what it has to provide. I really want to know, again, to wrap things up with, with a, a nice bow, um, what can you share with us um, about any of those four conversations that you know you have with yourself or with other people that are part of uh, a bigger life philosophy? I mean, clearly you're someone who was very well thought out and the way you do things is very intentional and thoughtful. So I'm, I'm, really, I'm really keen to, to hear any guidance that you can give us uh, and our listeners around any of those four. Yeah, totally. Um, I think I'll, I'll I'll tie it back to gratitude for this conversation. There there are many, um, but again, it's there, science shows that the the most uh, fundamentally to make yourself happier, uh, well, to improve your subjective, which would be the scientific term, um, is to simply wake up in the morning and write down what you're grateful for and what you're looking forward to and do the same thing at night and do that for a month. And you're going to be like 5% happier, which is you need to double your salary to basically have the same sort of increase in your subjective well-being, which is a lot harder to do than taking five minutes to be grateful. But I have this, uh, this internal mantra that I've been subscribing to for several years. And it, it stems from that saying that we all heard growing up, uh, maybe you can finish the sentence for me. It says, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't bother speaking. <laughs> don't say anything at all. And so what I realized is I looked at that, I wrote it down one day and I realized that if you cross out the two don'ts, the statement becomes, if you have to say, say it all. And it's this idea that if you have any appreciation in if you love somebody, uh, if you're grateful for something that someone has done for you, reason to hold that inside of you. Uh, tomorrow is not promised. There is new research is coming out. Andrew Huberman from Huberman Labs just did a great episode on gratitude and talks about how other people experiencing gratitude is actually the most effective way that we feel great, great ourselves. So the act of actually sharing gratitude and letting other people experience it is more impactful on our own state of being. And so uh, if you have anything nice to say, say it all. You will never regret the nice things you say to other people. It will improve your own life. It will transform your relationships. It will make those people more likely to share their appreciation. It creates an upward spiral of great gratitude and is like one of the simplest mantras, the most important. And so that is uh, something simple that people could literally leave here today. And the next person they see, whether it's their coworker, whether it's their family members or friends, when they get home, it's just, hey, here's why I'm grateful for you. And that why is really important. It's not just, I'm grateful for you. Uh, Robert Cialdini, who wrote Influence, he talks about how it's not our statement of affection that impacts the recipient. It is our explanation of it. So it is not the, I'm grateful for you. It is the I'm grateful for you. When we add those details, the other person knows that we mean what we say. They can feel those words on a deeper level. And that 
is what really matters. I wish we could get that message out to as many founders as possible because everyone's <laughs> to say thank you, but nobody takes the time to say why. You cannot just give a generic thank you to people and expect it to have any effect. Yeah. Just as it doesn't have any effect on you because you don't really mean it. You don't really verbalize it. Just, just to wrap up, I think this is a beautiful idea. Actually, very, very simple, very profound. Sometimes it's easier than people think. They're just afraid. You know, I don't want to speak too much. My masculinity will, will suffer. And just get it out. In Judaism, of course, we have, you know, this tradition. It's not just a tradition. You're supposed to do it. Um, you wake up and the first thing you say is modeani. What is modeani? It's thank you, God, for returning my soul to my body. <laughs> very, very simple. Just yeah. thank you for putting it back. Give me another day. That's it. Thank you. Yeah. I'll, do, I'll do my best with that. <laughs> yeah, we I, I make these hats and they just say, holy shit, we're alive on them. Because I think that Modiani. So many it's words. The, it's, the found, <laughs> it's, the, it's the foundational sentiment of gratitude is that, hey, look at us, we're talking to each other with headphones through computers. This is wild. And we're just here to do any of it. And that that's a gift. And so just uh, if you can receive the gift of your life as a starter, everything else is going to be a little bit better because of that. Beautiful. Andrew, thank you very much. This has been an incredible conversation. I really appreciate you sharing with us what you've built, why you've built it, what brought you to that. And, and again, just wrapping it up very neatly with, with that wisdom about gratitude. I great to forward. have you on. I hope we can do this again. And uh, just really thank you. Thank you for the great conversation. Uh, thank you. We'll stay in touch. Thanks for the great questions, Yuri. Thank you so much for listening to Commander-in-Chief Podcast. To apply to be a guest on the show, head on over to cicmediagroup.com backslash guest. CIC is in Commander-in-Chief. So that's cicmediagroup.com backslash guest. These guys, help us spread the word about the podcast and our mission on social media. We're cooking up something truly special over here, and we really need your help to spread the message. The reviews especially are huge for helping us grow and get the golden nuggets of wisdom from our world-class guests out into the world. Go on ahead, give us a review or rating on whichever platform you use to listen. Our mission at Commander Chief Media is to help 100 million people around the world in the next 10 years to do their life's best work in the here and now through storytelling, education media, thought leadership, consulting, corporate training, coaching, speaking and authentic high-quality writing, helping people to become their own commanders-in-chief. And before you go, please make sure to hit that subscribe button for us here at the Commander-in-Chief Podcast so that you can be the first to know when new episodes drop. Let's not be strangers, friend, okay? Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever you hang out. And, of course, if you want to learn more about our work and impact, or just access some great content. Yeah, plenty of that. Head on over to CICmediagroup.com. That's uh, CIC as in Commander-in-Chief, mediagroup.com. Once more, this is Yuri Kruman, and thanks for listening.